0: Uh, Last Sunday was Easter. We looked at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We saw that his death and resurrection was observed by witnesses. Witnesses who were willing to go on and give their lives for their belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, Jesus specifically appeared in a room where the apostles were gathered Judas had already killed himself he was gone and Thomas was missing he wasn't there and we are going to read about Jesus appearing a second time and specifically dealing with Thomas right Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, all right, so this, he, he, he probably appeared to them on a Sunday. Here we are, next Sunday. See, when you miss church. That's a, there's a good thing. When you miss church, you miss Jesus. All right. Um, <laughs> I brought along my own laugh track here. Okay. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So he materialized in that room, in that locked room. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Boo! No, he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now, this is chapter 20. Most people agree that John, sometimes, sometime later, Added chapter 21, it wraps up, we call it an epilogue. It, It wraps up the question, what about Peter? He denied Jesus, was he ever restored? But this is kind of the close of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel begins with a reference to Jesus being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God the gospel ends with Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you got that wrong, don't call me God. No, he receives the title God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen And yet, have believed. A lot of people in this room are in that category. You haven't felt his hands or his side, but you have believed. Okay? Now, I think Thomas has taken a bad rap over the years. Um, He is known as Doubting Thomas. Okay? But before we write him off as, Doubting Thomas. Let's go back to chapter 11. In fact, I'm going I'm to call him confirming Thomas, not doubting Thomas. We go back to chapter 11. This is where, where Jesus has just heard that Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha say, come and, and heal him. So Jesus says to the apostles, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And here's their response. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? They could kill you, right? And what does Thomas say? So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. He wasn't afraid to die. Rather than seeing Thomas as doubting and unbelieving and fickle, I have come to see him as such a serious disciple of Jesus, willing to die for Jesus. He just wants to make sure he's got the facts right. If I'm going to die for something, I want to confirm and make sure that it's really true. I'm willing to be a martyr, but not a stupid martyr. Okay? So, rather than seeing verse 29 as a rebuke, okay, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I don't, I don't take that as, well, I had to show you, but those who will believe without needing the evidence, they're in a higher class, no, no. I see this as two historical steps in the proclamation of the gospel. Step one, the apostles will be the witnesses of his resurrection. They are given the evidence that they need to be certain, certain enough to be persecuted and to die. Step two, Jesus ascends into heaven and now the way people get converted is not by seeing his hands, but by the proclamation of the gospel. Now, I do think that part of telling the story of the gospel can be that his apostles saw him alive and they were willing to die I think that, that can be part of the story that convinces people. But I think Jesus is saying, you believe because I've shown you evidence. Blessed are thou, those, even in this room today, who believe without having seen that evidence. In other words, I don't think he's rebuking Thomas. Okay? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give us three things that God uses to make believers all right, three things. One, evidence. All right, he gives evidence. Number two, he gives the gospel. Just a simple proclaiming of the gospel. And then thirdly, I'm going to talk about how he uses suffering. How all these apostles went on to suffer for their belief in the gospel, which, which points to uh, believing in the gospel. Wow, if they're willing to die... They're, what 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 do they believe in uh, that they were so willing to suffer and die over? Okay, so let's take a look at these three things: evidence, the gospel, and suffering as ways people come to know Jesus. All right, first, let's talk about evidence. Okay, Jesus gives Thomas physical evidence. Right? There's a whole realm of Christian study called apologetics. Right? I googled that word on Christian book distributors, and there are over 11,000 books on Christian apologetics. So I read them all for this sermon. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's no end to the books defending uh, the Christian faith. Okay? Apologetics involves defending the truthfulness of Christianity, the truthfulness of the Bible. Uh, it gives evidence and proofs and arguments and reasons why you can believe in Christianity. Now, the fact that Jesus gives Thomas evidence tells me that apologetics is a legitimate uh, use of time, using evidence to convince people. Now, here's what I'm going to do in this first point. I'm going to give you seven questions that seekers usually ask about Christianity. Okay? Seven questions. Now, let me, the reason I say seekers is because when it comes to hardcore skeptics, there's nothing you could say to convince them. Okay? But there are those who are saying, Yeah, I, I'm willing to believe. I'm willing to bank my eternity on this Jesus. I just have some questions. Is it all right if I ask some questions? Right. So here's the first question How do we even know God exists? Right. Can, can we be sure that God exists? Now, um, here's an interesting thing that a, a lot of Christians, when they talk to a non believer, will not, they, they don't even think of this. But here's what Scripture says. You already believe in a God. You already believe in a God. If you say you don't, you're denying what you already know to be true. In Romans 1, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, to humanity, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. What what that's saying is come on, I know you've gone to college and learned some arguments against God and you've read Dawkins and you've read Uh, the the new atheist books. But come on. In your heart, you know God really exists. How do you know? By creation. God has revealed his existence through what he has created. Now, as I've studied apologetics, and and I've shared this before, I don't think there's any better summary of all the arguments from creation than what uh, Lee Strobel Strobel used to be a... uh, um, an atheist and through studying he came to the conclusion that God is real and here's kind of a summary of his whole argument he said to continue in atheism I would need to believe that and, and by the way here's the argument a lot of times people go um, to believe in Christianity I would have to believe all these impossible things what Strobel is doing here is he's saying to believe in atheism you also have to believe some impossible things. Here's the impossible things you have to buy. All right? To continue in atheism, I would need to believe that nothing produces everything, non-life produces life, randomness produces fine-tuning, chaos produces information, unconsciousness produces consciousness, and non-reason produces reason. And then he says, I simply didn't have that much faith. Okay. Now, um, I could take a whole semester at school and teach through each one of these. So I'm just going to touch on a, on a couple of them. But the, the, the first one, nothing produces everything. So, so there really are just two, two ways to explain how stuff got here. One, a creator, an eternal creator, created it. Two, there isn't a creator and naturalism explains everything. All right? Naturalism says there's nothing but the natural world. There is no supernatural world. Now, um, those who study the cosmos, cosmologists, not cosmetologists, but cosmologists, okay, um, as they look at the expanding of the universe, they reverse it and go, well, it was about 14 billion years ago that the Big Bang happened. What's the Big Bang? There was nothing. And then uncaused, everything exploded into being. That's what you got to buy. you you got to violate two naturalism rules. Causality, and that things don't come from nothing. So to start in a naturalistic explanation of the universe, you have to abandon naturalism. Uncaused, everything popped into existence 14 billion years ago. All right, so if you you got to buy that, all right? um, that non-life produces life. So what scientists have done is they've said, you know, there there are all these variables in like if if there was a big bang and an explosion. St- Gravity would have to be fine-tuned to a certain degree, and protons and neutrons would have to take on really super precise uh, categories and uh, and measurements. And Donald Page, who I don't believe he's a believer, he just said that the odds of there being an explosion and everything becoming so fine-tuned that life could could happen randomly um, is 10 billion is one to ten billion to the one hundred and twenty-fourth power. So what that is is it's 10 billion times 10 billion times 10 billion 124 times. Okay? It's a church full of zeros is what it is. It's impossible. Okay? Um, But you would have to buy those odds. Okay? Randomness produces fine-tuning. Um, chaos produces information. What, what, what's going on there? Well, if you just took a one-celled amoeba and you looked at all the DNA. By the way, Darwin didn't know about DNA. But if you took all the DNA in a one-celled amoeba it would equal the amount of information in 1,000 uh, sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. So, and, and not, not just, uh, I, I mean, the pages in each of those books, all that information is coded in the DNA of a one-celled amoeba information doesn't just pop into existence okay unconsciousness produces consciousness even let's say all that even did happen and boom there's an amoeba how does that turn into people who are aware of other people some people haven't quite made it to that stage yet but you know (laughs) right and not (laughs) you guys are great um and non-reason produces reason, right? Lee Struble says, all that you have to believe. It took too much faith to believe that uh, I'm no longer an atheist, right? So that's, that's question one. I'll move a lot faster here. Question two, how do we know the Bible hasn't been changed? Okay. Well, just this simple fact. There are over 24,000 ancient manuscripts, not full, complete Bibles with maps and a concordance, but like fragments and the Book of Romans here and the Gospels here, 24,000 ancient manuscripts. Okay, That is more documentation of any book from antiquity. So if you're going to say, well, I think the Bible's been changed over time, like the telephone game, you know, um, then you have to also doubt and throw out all the rest of ancient history. Right? So we've got to get rid of these guys, too. Because the Bible is more well-documented with ancient documents than, than any of these. So you don't get to reject the Bible saying, oh, well, of course that's been changed, and hold on to anything else. Right? Third question how do we know Jesus really rose from the dead? And this was last week's sermon, so go back and listen to that. Um, but, but here's just a quick thing. No historian doubts that Jesus lived and he was sentenced to be crucified under Governor Pontius Pilate. The, all history confirms that. Um, there was a guarded tomb in Jerusalem. They knew where it was, and three days later, it was empty. Well, maybe somebody stole the body. Who would have stole the body? If it was the disciples? No, they were busy cowering in the upper room. Right? Um, If the Romans stole it, they wanted to stop this thing called Christianity. They would have brought it out and said, there's your Savior. And the Jewish leaders would have done the same thing. There was an empty tomb on Sunday morning. Okay? Then these cowardly apostles become courageous believers, and they're all willing to die. How do you explain that transformation, the resurrection? Here's another one. How do you explain the start of the church with a bunch of Jewish people who aren't quick to abandon their traditions? How do you explain 3,000 Jewish people forming the church a few days after Jesus rises from the dead? They all get baptized. They spread the gospel, and you're here today because of them. Okay? Okay. Then there's the dozens of fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament that, that point to Jesus and are fulfilled. Things like, he'll be pierced for our transgressions. Okay? So really, when people are skeptical about Jesus dying and rising from the dead, really what they're saying is, I just don't believe in miracles. So we'll get to that one in just a second. How can you believe in miracles? Right? Fourth, fourth question people have. What about all the pain and evil in the world? called the problem of evil. Okay. Well, I don't know how to explain every case of pain and suffering. But I do know that the Bible promises that this is not all there is. In fact, this is just a speck of time called human history on an eternal timeline and the book of uh, of Revelation promises a completely redeemed world world where there will be no more sickness no more death no more pain and all injustice will be punished now that raises a fifth question I don't know if I can believe in a God who has hell. Which isn't it interesting? If you're objecting to all the evil in the world, one of the answers is God's going to punish it. We want there to be justice. Okay, now we give you justice. I don't like God's justice. Well, what is it? You want pain and suffering and evil to be taken away and, and, and sin to be punished? Yes. Yes. That would be great, okay. I don't want that. You can't have it both ways, okay. Um, and by the way, you do want there to be eternal justice. You want you want Hitler to not just die in his bunker, right? All right. Sixth sixth objection. How can I believe in miracles? I mean, this is the this is the modern age. We have cell phones in our pockets that just, I, I mean, we, we have cars that can drive without drivers. We have, we've been to the moon. Some of you are like, yeah, right, but, you know. Um, how can we believe Jesus walked on water and he fed 5,000 with just a little basket of food? And he healed blind people. This is a modern world. How do, how do we believe in it? Well, this, this is just so simple. That's naturalism. That's a picture of the natural world. All there is is just molecules. And there is no bigger supernatural world. Okay? Now, that's a picture of there being a supernatural world, that there is a God, that there are angels, that he can intervene in the natural world. So it boils down to this, if that's your presupposition that all there is is the natural world, then there can't be miracles. If your presupposition is that that's the world, that there are, there is a supernatural world, why can't God do miracles? So really, it boils down to this, those who say, I just can't bring myself to believe in a miracle, I would say you're stuck in this world. What, how, do, how do you know that that's the real world? If you add God, miracles, no, no miracle is impossible, including Jesus being raised from the dead. Okay. Last objection or question, isn't the Bible full of myths and errors? Well, if you start with the assumption that that's all there is, is the natural world, then there can't be miracles. And of course the Bible is full of myths and stories and legends. But if God exists, I don't have a problem with miracles. Okay, If God, then miracles. If miracles, then the Bible isn't a fantasy, fantasy tale with fairy tales in it. Makes perfect sense. That God would have revealed Himself through miracles. Okay? Now, um, I tell you what, I think, and I haven't done this in a long time, I'm gonna put this, this, uh, I'm gonna put the sermon on hold right now because I've given you a lot to think about, right? And I've got two more full points to cover. So I'm going to save them for next week. What do you think, ladies? Should we do that? Okay? <laughs> These ladies are in our Thursday uh, Bible study at Heritage Woods, And you know what? they're they're very sharp. we just We just covered the Book of Micah, right? Book of Romans. Uh, here, Rita does the studying, and I show up, and I pontificate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're a good team, so. Um, but is it, you got seven things to think about. Is that enough for today? Okay, very good. Um, but bottom line, Jesus rose from the dead. He knew it would be hard to believe, so he made several appearances to the apostles. And when Thomas said, I doubt it. I need evidence. Jesus gives the evidence that Thomas needs. There is evidence for the truthfulness of Christianity, the existence of God, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And let me share this with you. I remember talking, and it's, 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 it's true of a number of people, I remember talking to a number of people who had all these questions. And as I was starting to answer, they would switch to another question. And I would try to answer that. And they would switch to another question. And I would try to answer that. And finally, I've learned that at a certain point you stop and you just explain the gospel. And that's what we'll, we'll talk about next week, the power of the gospel. But I think some people, they're not concerned that they have all the answers. They just want to know that there are answers. And maybe, maybe you've come here this morning and you've said, yeah, I'm not so sure. I have all these questions. Oh, becoming a Christian isn't throwing your brain away? Oh, there are 11,000 books I can read that have answers? Right? Maybe I will seriously pursue this Jesus Christ, who died and rose and, and is your Savior. And maybe some of you are ready to receive him. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're real. Thank you that you've come to earth. Thank you that you've given evidence of your deity through miracles, through, through profound teaching, through fulfillment of prophecy through witnesses and Lord I pray for anyone here who may just have been cautious cautious like Thomas um, just wanting to know is this real are there answers and if that's the last barrier Lord I pray uh, that you would work in their hearts and that um, people would, would turn from their sin and turn to you who died for their sin rose from the dead and wants to come in into lives and hearts, forgive sin and change lives. Lord, do your work amongst us, and I pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, worship team, come on up.